Thank you, Abby, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. It's good to be back with you after a week uh, teaching in Canada. And now uh, we'll take a moment and pray together as we consider uh, the gifts that God has given us and how to hold those gifts properly. So please join me in prayer. Father, we'd like to thank you that we can gather here within these walls to listen for your voice and thank you for the many, many gifts that are all around us, more than we ever know. I pray that you would cultivate within us through the power of your spirit a heart of gratitude in order that we might be people of joy and hope in our world, desperately needing both. Toward that end, we give you these moments in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, I lived years ago in Friday Harbor, San Juan Islands, and uh, uh, there was a sign at the trailhead at the south end of the island, American Camp was the name of the national park. And if you're going down to the beach, uh, there's a sign and it has all these activities with a negation sign through it, like this is a forbidden activity. So for example, uh, it was a long list. Cigarettes, <laughs> beer, <laughs> radio, <laughs> pet, <laughs> campfire, <laughs> tent. <laughs> it's like long list. So. We go down there to uh, hike one day, my wife and I, and there's a smiley face <laughs> with a negation sign through it, kind of as a way of saying, yeah, this is going to be a fun place. We can't do anything here, right? And I share that uh, at the outset this morning because this is often the perception that people driving by right now have of communities of faith, that we are at best highly suspicious of anything that brings us joy. And, and the result of, of this way of presenting Christ has been tragic. A, many people actually believe within the community of faith that if it brings joy, there's something wrong. In other words, we're highly suspicious of anything that feels good. I've even heard it said, if it feels good, don't do it, right? God is waiting, like that. B, uh, because of that misperception rooted in Gnosticism and other things beyond the scope of this morning, but because of that misperception, many aren't interested in a life of faith because their understanding is that a life of faith is a, is a life of denying the good gifts that are all around us. And see, what happens often is many of us who are in spiritual authority outwardly preach against pleasure and when that happens, it drives all of our lives underground. In other words, we have no forum in which to have a discussion about how to hold the many gifts that God has given us properly. How do we hold our sexuality properly? What's the right relationship with alcohol? What's the right relationship with food, with exercise, with creation? And if we don't have those conversations and pleasures are driven underground, they often become hidden addictions. And then, you know, in my lifetime, uh, the number of scandals among people of faith, particularly uh, vocal leaders, the number of scandals around finances, around sex, uh, are just too many to even number, right? So people are preaching outwardly one thing and then living an entirely different way, which leads then, to rightly, to charges of hypocrisy, which is exactly what Jesus actually said of the religious leaders of his day, Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, Jesus' assessment of the religious leaders of his day. He said, you guys clean the outside of the cup, but inwardly, it's full of rottenness. In other words, you're putting on a show, 
but there's no inward uh, transformation. And many of, many of these problems stem from a misunderstanding of pleasure. So we want to look this morning at number one, if you have an outline and you do, the gifts of pleasure. Number two, the abuse of pleasure. Number three, the way forward. So I'm going to look at the gifts of pleasure here. God has given us gifts, gifts of pleasure. Uh, and I'm going to make three observations about the gifts of pleasure. Observation number one, uh, James 1.16. So in James 1.15, James was viewed as legalistic by many who, like when you read in the book of James, you go, wow, this is like, you know. But at the very outset, James frames his understanding of what he's trying to teach us by saying, James 1.15, don't be deceived, which is his way of saying, hey, wake up, pay attention. And then the, the very next thing out of his mouth is this. Every gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, in whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. In other words, this means that everything that evokes a response of joy in your life, everything that evokes a response of joy is a gift from God. It's very important that we see that. And this is because everything that God has created is good. The earth, the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the ocean, the land, the mountains, the seasons, the vegetation, the animals, the life in the sea, the food you eat, coffee, your sexuality, coffee, it's all good. <laughs> Gifts from God, right? Everything's amazing. And, and even the way God has made the world, the things that are amazing, that are intended to be gifts to us, evoke in us a response of joy. If you uh, get out today, and I hope you do get outside at some point uh, and just walk around, if you pay attention at all, this is the most, one of the most beautiful seasons uh, of all four, and they're all beautiful in their own way, uh, but the colors right now are remarkable. The trees are drained from the chlorophyll that's hiding their true beauty most of the year. And now we see the real colors of the trees just before the leaves fall to the ground. And even when they fall to the ground, they're in, remarkable. Now, just a little survey. Uh, of whom in the room is it true? Seeing the colors evokes in me a response of joy. Just raise your hand if it's true. Everyone, except those who are sleeping right now, <laughs> didn't raise their hand. But I mean, why is that? Well, this is the way God has made the world. God's desire is that the gifts that God has given us would evoke in us a response of joy. And this, for this to happen, we have to pay attention. And many of us don't pay attention. We're driving and we're not seeing, right? We're eating and we're not tasting. We're, we're not paying attention. This is where we can learn some things from our Native American brothers and sisters who have a great relationship with the land and have learned to pay attention Chief Luther Standing Bear <clears throat> writes this. Everything is possessed of personality, only differing from us in form. Knowledge is inherent in all things. The world is a library, and its books are the stones and leaves and grass and brooks, the birds and animals that share alike with us the storms and blessings of the earth. We must learn to do what only the student of nature can learn, that is to feel beauty. We never rail at the storms and the furious winds and the biting frost and snow. To do so would only intensify human futility. So whatever is before us, we adjust ourselves without complaint so that we learn to enjoy. Don't you love this? We learn to enjoy bright days, 
dark days, sun, rain, winter, summer, all as expressions of the great mystery, and we revel in how the great mystery draws us close to the great holiness. I'll just say that again. We revel in how the great mystery draws us close to the great holiness. Romans 1 says that judgment comes precisely because we fail to give thanks to our Creator for the gifts that God has given us. So it's very important that we learn to live with eyes wide open. We start paying attention to all the gifts that are all around us. It begins with paying attention. Uh, Psalm 104, David kind of ponders the hydration cycle, how uh, the water evaporates from the ocean and rises up and condenses and then when it hits a cooled air, it becomes a cloud, then the wind blows the cloud uh, westward and then it hits the cascades and then gets stuck there at our house and rains endlessly for a long, long time and then that fills the, the streams and the streams fill the rivers and the rivers flow back to the sea and it goes on again and again and again. It's gone on for millions of years and this is why we're here. <laughs> we're here because we have had that provision, right? So pay attention uh, and, and, and not just pay attention but, but give thanks. And whatever are the gifts that you enjoy and some of you enjoy golf in the room, great, enjoy golf. You enjoy skiing, you enjoy coffee, you enjoy uh, uh, the sexuality inherent in your marriage, whatever it is that you enjoy. Listen to this, very important. It's all a gift. You didn't earn it. Everything's a gift. Oh, yeah, but I have season tickets and I paid for them. Still a gift. Because that money came from the job that is also a gift. So everything's a gift. And people who view everything as a gift are very joy-filled people. Years ago, I was teaching at a torture school, Thetis Island in Canada, uh, and I, was there for, I happened to be there for two weeks, so I was there over the course of the weekend. And on Friday morning, these students said, uh, Richard, we had to just bug out a few minutes early out of your class. I said, why? Well, we gotta catch two ferries, we're going to Vancouver. Oh, you're going to Vancouver for the weekend. Oh, why? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, we wanna see the Canucks and the Calgary Flames, okay? Hockey. Now, this is back when they were both good. That's not true anymore, but it was true then. And it was a huge rivalry. Think Seahawks, 49ers, that kind of thing, right? I know you're not Canadian, so you may not get the import of this, but this was a big deal. We all know it's going to be sold out. I said to them, oh, you have tickets. They go, no, we don't have tickets. Well, what are you going to do? We're going to buy tickets, like, we're going to get some scalp tickets. Well, these 18-year-olds are naive. Like, I go, how much money do you have? Oh, 50 bucks. I go, there's no, there's no way. Save your money. Like, stay here. I'll watch a game with you. Oh, no, we're going to a game. We're going to buy, we're going to buy tickets. For, we have 50 bucks each. Each. We have 50 bucks. No, it's impossible. You'll end up in a pub, whatever, have a good time. They go... And I was right. They couldn't find anything for less than 100 bucks for tickets. So they're standing right outside the arena. They're kind of wondering, what are we going to do? What pub are we going to go to? This car drives up. This rich lady rolls down the window. She goes, do you boys have tickets to the game? They go, no, but we're trying to buy some. She just, 
hands an envelope to them and drives away. Just drives away. They, op they open these tickets, and they're so excited, they go in, 10 rows up, center ice, season tickets. Let me just ask you, uh, who had the most fun in all the arena that night? <laughs> right? Why? Because they knew it was a gift. When you know it's a gift, you give thanks. And often we don't believe that it's a gift. We believe that the things that we enjoy are things that we've earned somehow. No, they're not. Nothing. Nothing. Everything's a gift from God. Both the things you bought and the things that are free. So you want to learn <clears throat> to see everything as a gift. Uh, why? Because observation number one under the gifts, everything's a gift. Uh, James 1.16. Observation number two, the reason the gifts are given is so that uh, we might turn to God and enjoy a relationship with God. And so it says in Romans 2.4, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance, but the word repentance really means turning. And so you want to learn <clears throat> to receive these gifts so that uh, you turn to the source, right, and worship not the gift, but worship the giver of the gift. And, and so John Muir teaches this quite, a, quite well. He was a naturalist uh, in, the, in the 19th century and he uh, definitely saw God's provision in nature as a love language. And so he, like being out in creation would lead him to worship God. This is what he writes. When hiking, I was full of God's thoughts. Nature was a place of peace and safety amid the most exalted grandeur and I would learn from nature a new song, a place of beginnings, first lessons of life, mountain building, eternal, invincible, unbreakable order. I learned from the sermons preached through stones and storms and trees and flowers and animals. In other words, uh, by paying attention, he was receiving gifts from God and not just receiving them, but thanking the creator of the gifts. In other words, do you see the gift is intended to turn us to the source of the gift. That's why we give gifts to each other. Uh, pretty soon Christmas comes up and uh, it's inappropriate to uh, just receive gifts and not see them for their intended purpose, which is, this is just a sign that, that I care for you, right? The best gift I've ever received was from, um, well, I hate to say this because my kids are listening, but from my son, Noah. I have three kids. I love you all. I love you all. But uh, Noah worked at, at Patagonia, and uh, so he got, to, he got access to returns, right? People would return things, get a replacement piece of clothing. And if you didn't drive to work, uh, you were bumped at the top of the list having access to these returns. And of course, my son only owned a bike, so he, like, he's always at the top of the list. He can his pick of the stuff. Uh, most famous climber in the Northwest uh, comes in, Fred Becky, uh, and returns a, like a fleece top that he'd had for 20 years climbing all over the Cascades. And how awesome is that? Christmas morning, I open 
the gift and it's Fred Becky's fleece top. <laughs> and my dad explains, or excuse my dad, my son explains this whole story to me and I was like, I just went up and hugged him and wept on his shoulder, you know. <laughs> what a great gift. But, but the gift pointed me to my son. Do you see? Wow. He thought of me. He went to the effort. That's, that's what gifts are for. Not, uh, oh, amazing, and then I walk away. The gift is intended to turn us toward the giver of the gift. And when gifts work properly, that's what they do. Now, here's the thing. As you go through your day-to-day, you will enjoy, like, literally countless gifts from God. From creation, to music, to movies, to uh, food, to exercise, to conversation. My encouragement to you, A, pay attention, we've already seen. B, uh, turn to God and give thanks. For every gift that you see, give thanks. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. In everything, uh, give thanks. I've, I, I just preached this at uh, 8, and a, a friend came up to me and he explained that he had just returned from France. And uh, he worked years ago in Seattle in a restaurant with this guy who now lives in France, who is a cook in France. If you can imagine, that's like the World Series of food, right? And, and so he said, we spent 11 days together, and then he talked briefly about the food and the wine and the great, just a great time that they had. But then he said, when it was time to leave, uh, he said, I wept for half an hour. We hugged, and he said, because I realized I may, I may never see him again. And what I loved about him sharing that, he came up and shared right here with me, what I loved about the story was it's not about the wine or the escargot. It's about the, do you understand? It's about the, the relationship. And the gift just points to the relationship. So learn to pay attention to the gifts and then begin to give thanks uh, for the giver of the gifts. Because ultimately, the reason God is giving these gifts to us is that we might be in relationship with God. Um, and then finally, under this rubric of the gifts of pleasure, first point, the other reason that the gifts are given is God's intention is that we having received gifts would then turn around and share these gifts with one another. So to the extent that you have received gifts from God, open up your heart, open up your home and share gifts. When you share gifts of food and drink and shelter and comfort, what you're really doing is you're celebrating the giver of every good and perfect gift. So uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 24 looks to the end of history and sees a fantastic meal with people from every nation sitting around a table and it says it's the best wine and the best cheese and the best meat, all given as gifts so that we can enjoy fellowship with each other from a generous God. And then our calling now, if, the, if that's the future, our calling is to begin to live into that future now. And, and so when we uh, offer a community meal here and, and we, we, we share bounty, it's, the point isn't just the food. The point is the relationship. The point is pointing people to God as the source of every good and perfect gift. So God's desire 
is that all these gifts would engender a response in us that would make us people of you know, humble joy and gratitude who are living slowly enough to pay attention to every gift that is in front of us. And then, and then life just becomes like this constant celebration. And I say in my best moments, uh, when I'm at my best, every day is Christmas. And I'm just, I'm wide open. God is, there's gifts everywhere. I'm enjoying. However, gifts don't work that way, largely. The gifts that God has, the very gifts that God has given us have become a source of conflict and abuse and addiction. Food becomes gluttony and eating disorders. Beer and wine become alcoholism. Sex becomes sexually transmitted diseases and rape and human trafficking and me too and shaming. God's provision materially becomes workaholism, the endless pursuit of wealth and stuff without regard for environment or the common good. Even sport becomes an addiction and gambling. And people, people put their whole identity in their team because they don't have anything to give life meaning. And so today people will paint their faces all across America and live and die with a sports team. And I find that sad. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a fan. Some of you know that. I enjoy a good football game or basketball or baseball or tennis or hockey, or track, or gymnastics, or downhill skiing. But uh, there's no identity in it. I remember the first time we lost the Super Bowl, and I'm talking about the Seahawks when I say we. Uh, first time we lost the Super Bowl, I was like this. Yeah, but they still have to live in Pittsburgh. And I just got out and, went, and went, go on with life, right? We're here, man. Who needs a Super Bowl medal? Who cares? So we can enjoy, but often it's not joy anymore. It's addiction, and it's destructive. So what happened? How did the very gifts that God has given us become uh, this source of so much grief, which has led to us collectively as a culture being anxious, lonely, unhappy, fearful, and angry in spite of the fact that we're the most prosperous people in the world. How'd that happen? Well, that leads me to my second point, the abuse of God's gifts. And so uh, you see in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 21, this indictment, God has offered gifts through creation, but Romans 1, 21 says this, even though they knew God, they did not honor God as God or give thanks, which leads to verse 25 of Romans 1. Instead, people began worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Or, to put it another way, began to worship the gift rather than the giver. And if you worship the gift rather than the giver, several pathologies are born. Uh, pathology number one, when I worship the gift rather than the giver, here's the first thing that goes wrong. I lose my off switch. In other words, all gifts are gifts, but any gift is open to abuse and becoming destructive because without intimacy, with, look, if I take God out of the picture, then all I have is the gift. Does that make sense? And if all I have is the gift, then I need the gift. And if I need the gift, I cling to the gift. And as soon as I cling to the gift, then the gift, now it's not, now it's not a gift anymore, it's an idol. It's my identity. I must have whatever it is. 
coffee, alcohol, sex, wealth, a winning team. I must have it. No, you don't have to have it. But if you have to have it, it's not a gift anymore. It's an idol. And if it's an idol, it will become an addiction and it'll, be, it'll become destructive. So you lose your off switch when the, the gift doesn't turn you to God for gratitude and intimacy. You lose your off switch. The second pathology that happens is because so many do lose their off switch, uh, we end up vilifying the gifts because of the danger of, of abuse. Does that make sense? In other words, we say, wow, look at the way that guy's abusing his whatever. That just proves that the gift itself is wrong. And, and the result within the church, we've created a shaming culture around sex often. We have a distorted relationship with food often. We have a distorted relationship with creation. We have this kind of Gnostic spirituality that says that God's cathedral of the forest is inferior to this cathedral here. No. I had a, uh, a gal shares her testimony in a book that I just read. Uh, she grew up in a pastor's household and uh, her parents were afraid uh, of, that she would eat too much. So they put on the refrigerator door uh, a verse out of Philippians. Beware of those whose God is their stomach. And she writes poignantly and painfully about how that destroyed her relationship with food. She could not, even if she's hungry, ever open the refrigerator and enjoy anything in there without feeling a sense of shame. Do you see how, how we, we take the very gifts that God has given and, and they become distorted because, number one, we lose our off switch, and then because we lose our off switch and we see all this mess, some of us in spiritual authority would say, see, watch out, that'll kill you. And now we don't enjoy them anymore, we're afraid of them. And, and that's, that's a distortion. And then the third thing that happens, this result of pathology, a gigantic dissonance between preaching and practice. In other words, if I'm up here telling you, be, watch out for the gifts, be careful of your sexuality, be careful of food, don't enjoy creation too much, if that's my posture, then uh, all our relationship to the gifts are, is driven underground. That relationship is driven underground. And now we can't talk about how to hold our sexuality properly. We don't have discussions about food. We don't have discussions about exercise. We don't have discussion about idolatry and addiction anymore because it's just all been vilified. And as soon as it's vilified, it's driven underground. And when it's driven underground, we become Pharisees. We clean the outside of the cup. We come here. We're all squeaky clean. Nobody knows about your porn addiction. Nobody knows that you can't open the refrigerator without a sense of guilt. Nobody knows about your relationship with sex, your relationship with food, your relationship with alcohol. Nobody knows. Why? Because by vilifying the gifts, we drive our relationship with the gifts underground and we're intended to learn how to hold these gifts in community. <laughs> but we can only do so if this is a safe place to hold them. And it's only a safe place to hold them if the gifts are what? Good. <laughs> Open to distortion, but good. So those are the pathologies then, right? 
We don't give thanks. Uh, then uh, we vilify the gifts, and then the gifts are driven underground where they're at greater risk of becoming the very idols that reinforce the idea that the gifts are bad. What's the way forward? To show you the way forward, I want to begin by sharing a video. Uh, we have several videos during this portrait series, members of Bethany, who want to share their story that is cogent to the topic of the day. So today, remember, we're looking at gifts and their abuse. Uh, listen as we share this together. You know, born and raised in an alcoholic household, dad, dad's dad, that kind of thing. I told myself I'd never be my father. And then just one day, I became him. I'm not sure if you've ever been in those situations where you're trying to solve a problem, but you haven't yet admitted to yourself what the problem is to solve. But I was sitting at the English pub in Portland, Moon and Sixpence. One of my buddies said to me, he goes, Craig, you're never this quiet, and you're still on your first beer. And then out of my mouth came, I'm an alcoholic, I need to quit drinking. Imagine that being said out loud in an English pub, you know, at six o'clock at night. I called my dad, who'd been in and out of sobriety, and this time he was sober about four years. And he goes, go to a meeting. And I was like, oh, okay. And the topic was God. <laughs> I had turned my back uh, on Christianity um, when I was about 20, 21 years old. But I, I just said, I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober. If that means I've got to have a conversation with God again, then so be it. And so for the first time in 17, 18 years, I said the serenity prayer with uh, the folks there. My mom happened to live very close to this church that my sister wanted to go to because this uh, famous author used to go there. My prejudices were still live and well. I, I sat down and I'm prepared to hear the rules again. And I'm ready to hear how uh, God's unhappy with you when you do X or when you don't do X. The professor from Montgomery University talked about God in a loving and caring manner in such a way that I was just taken aback. I, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't heard that before. It was not until a song was sang, Come Thou Fount, it just, it broke the dam. For the first time ever, I felt but, well, I wasn't ashamed of myself. I don't know what the tears were coming from. I, the only thing I can crack those up to is, is that that was joy of having a relationship with, uh, with Christ again. It was instantaneous um, that he just welcomed me back in. That was, again, that was a little over seven years ago, and then I got baptized. Like most people, when I got baptized, I expected everything to be, hey, now I'm one of the chosen. I'm gonna be free from all my iniquities and, and that's not been the case. It's just been a struggle. But I realized that not only is my life not my own, my sobriety is not my own, like my freedom is not my own. It's been made for me to share it, right? I was made for service. That's what's been missing from my joy when I'm giving away whatever I have. I just want to thank Craig for his uh, beautiful, courageous, transparent uh, testimony. Also, you may or may not know, but we have a great uh, communication team here. Dan, would you just raise your hand? Dan is head of that team, and they put these videos together. We want to thank you for 
your work week on week, along with Bart and, and, and many others who contributed that. Thank you so much. Uh, as we bring this to a close, though, let me show you the way forward in light of, of what Craig uh, shared here. And there's four things. They're all important, so I'm going to encourage you to write these down. First of all, how do I hold the gifts properly? Number one, context. In other words, not every gift is for everyone, ever. You can't enjoy all the gifts. So for Craig, alcohol is not a gift available to him. That's okay. For some of you in the room, uh, sexual intimacy is not a gift available to you right now. That's okay. If I demand all the gifts all the time, it, that will destroy me. So uh, not every gift is for everyone and not every gift is for every season. Maybe you could run and you can't anymore. That's okay. So accept your limitations. And then second, closely related, don't compare. In other words, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, those who compare with another end up being perpetually unhappy. Years ago, I was teaching in uh, Austria. It was the end of, of fall uh, quarter. I was planning, I'm going to stay a few days, uh, ski, go to the staff party, which is always epic, lots of schnitzel and stuff. It's amazing. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just happy. And I'm like, I love my life. I get to, I'm privileged to go over here and do this every year. And I have good friends over there. It's, it's great. Snowing, you know. And I'm, so I'm just, and then I'm out walking. And this friend of mine drives up in a brand new car. And he's just a little bit younger than me. And I go, oh, are you visiting for the staff party? He goes, no. I'm moving here with my family. I quit my job, and I'm going to be on staff now, and I'm going to be a ski instructor. And I was like, oh, you're moving here. You're going to stay here. Like, I'm leaving. You're staying. Yeah, isn't it going to be great? Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And then as soon as he walks away, this is what I do. I hate my life. Hate. <laughs> my life sucks. I got I to gotta go home now. He stays. I go. He's rich, I'm a pastor. You know, what's up with that? And how is it that instantly we move from perfect contentment to uh, unhappiness? I'll tell you how, comparison. So I'm just going to tell you, as your friend, knock it off. What God has given you, enjoy it. Whatever it is, enjoy it, right? So context, not every gift's for everyone. Comparison, don't. Number three, pay attention to what you do have. Begin paying attention. Taste your food. Did you hear me? Like, taste your food. Enjoy it. Taste your coffee. <coughs> pay attention to the leaves. Enjoy every minute. Because every minute is ripe with gifts to enjoy. Which, then closely related to that, number four, give thanks. Pretty simple but difficult. <laughs> Simple to say. Context. Not every gift's for everyone. Comparison. Don't. Pay attention. See the gifts. Give thanks. So here's what we're going to do, just as we close. Uh, on the front of your bulletin, I'm going to ask you to draw a vertical line right down the front of your bulletin. And on the left, I'm going to ask you to write this. Gifts I need to let go of because they're not yours for this season. Some of you are hanging on to gifts that don't belong on your gift list because they're destructive right now in your life. 
So what gifts do you need to let go of? It might be alcohol, like Craig. It might be a different relationship with food. It might be something to do with your sexuality or your work. What gifts do you need to let go of? And what gifts, just in this moment, can you thank God for? So this is your response this morning. And then you take it home and you share it with some people, hopefully. But let me pray, and then uh, we begin to enjoy the gifts that God has given us so that we can leave here as people of hope. Father, thank you for these moments you've given us, and now we commit to you this time of response. I pray, Father, that we would uh, really pay attention to what your Spirit is saying to us. Some of us are clinging to gifts. They become idols, and in their, in their form as idols, they're destroying us. We're living with hidden shame. We're, we've lost our dignity in ways. Things are overwhelming the proportion in our lives. We're hiding stuff. Would you reveal that, Father? We want to let go of those gifts. And then we want to be people who are practicing gratitude. So we invite your spirit to speak to us now in response. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.